Hey guys, Paul Capon from the Innovation Community here today. Uh, we're here with Sergey Fogelson, uh, Vice President of Data Science and Modeling over at Viacom. Uh, Sergey's worked in a number of software organizations and, and academic institutions, specifically with the I2 to data science. He's um, He always enjoys sharing and communicating that knowledge as well, working in a number of boot camps and hacking academies and in his current role, just working on the uh, managing a team of data scientists and, and analysts as well. Sergey, great to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So just to start with, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. So uh, I'm based in New York City. I originally got my PhD in cognitive neuroscience from Dartmouth College, where I studied uh, basically how the brain uh, represents visual categories. And then um, probably about two years before I finished my PhD, I knew I didn't want to be an academic. So I decided I wanted to use kind of the same analytical skills that I was uh, uh, learning as a, an academic within the real world. And so I kind of uh, taught myself some of the skills of data science and was able to land a job as a data scientist after I graduated. And I've been a data scientist now for six years um, in a variety of different industries. Uh, you know, everything from ad tech, cybersecurity, uh, and now uh, in media. So. Great. And, and you touched on it there. You've had uh, like a number of experiences in different organizations. What really interests you about working with data science? So the, the thing I really like about uh, being a data scientist is that you basically apply a lot of the same techniques that you would as a scientist within a traditional quantitative field where you, you, know, you have a specific hypothesis about some behavior or about some phenomenon and uh, you basically test that hypothesis in some way either through observational data, so just collecting basically um, uh, exhaust from the dealings of your business, whatever your business may be, or by actually running experiments and then you analyze them and then you make a, you know, you, you, you make some kind of a conclusion based on that. And you use a lot of the same uh, mathematical and computational techniques that you would in a uh, traditional quantitative uh, field, whether that's in, you know, in psychology or in physics or in mathematics or really uh, in biology. And so I, that's really what I think is really interesting about data science is that you can still use kind of the scientific method, um, uh, but uh, applied to business problems. And I think that's really exciting. Absolutely. And um, where did your career really start in this field? I mean, you're, you're now at Viacom, which is a huge media company. Um, but but you're, you, you mentioned that you're working at uh, some software companies, some, some, uh, some other organizations before that too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I began my career as a data scientist for a small ad tech company. Well, it was small at the time anyway. It was called TapAd. So they built uh, cross-device uh, basically solutions for uh, various clients. So you can imagine basically trying to understand um, how devices out in the world map onto either households or onto people. The best way to kind of think about it is, you know, um, for example, within uh, my family, we have, you know, two different uh, phones. We have a couple of tablets. 
We have a uh, internet connected television and uh, we have some laptops. So, you know, we go on the internet basically on all of those devices. Um, but uh, when it comes to traditional um, marketing or really kind of analytics on those devices, those would be treated as however many different people, whether that's, uh, I don't know how many devices I listed, eight, nine, 10, but actually there's only two people in the household. It's me and my wife. And so what TapAd does is uh, they build basically a platform to be able to uh, disaggregate all of those devices into either individuals or unique households using uh, various interesting um, uh, approaches uh, from network uh, theory and network analysis. And so that's where I began my career as a, a data scientist working on uh, those kinds of problems where you're trying to understand how likely is it that two devices that are that appear within the, the same space over the same span of time are connected to a specific person or some other person? Um, and how can you build algorithms that allow you to scale and intelligently um, uh, build kind of graphs that, that connect all of those devices uh, quickly and efficiently? Absolutely. And this isn't, you know, when people talk about data science, it is, tends to be like a buzzword these days, but it, as you just pointed out there, it's something that affects all of us. Um, so it's super interesting. You've been working in that field and got a lot of the experience as well. Uh, tell us about a time that you affected change in one of these organizations. Uh, so, yeah, so I can talk a little bit about my time at uh, TAPAD. So uh, when I first <clears throat> uh, came to TAPAD, uh, one of their kind of big problems in terms of figuring out how to scale um, how their their technology was built, how their, their, their device graphs were constructed, really was around um, trying to, uh, the, way to, the way to think about it is, is there's only, at, at the time, so this was in uh, uh, 2013 when I joined, there was really, uh, some limits on both computing power and on storage that were being reached by TAPAD. So basically there were, you know, the, the, if, if they wanted to, let's say, process signals over um, anything longer than uh, a couple of weeks worth of data, they just weren't capable of, of doing it in the kind of the, the architecture and the infrastructure that they had. And so uh, what I was able to do was to kind of retool the architecture and make it so that, that, that in effect, although the uh, device graph that was being constructed at the time was a little bit more stale, uh, it was a lot larger than um, it would have been using their traditional approach. So basically their traditional approach had a, um, uh, you basically have an algorithm that can only process, let's say, two weeks worth of signals over time, but it's up to date. What we did instead was we had a batch process where the, um, we, we created a batch process where we, uh, instead of having an algorithm that was up to date, it was maybe 24 to 48 hours behind, but could process three months worth of data. And what that basically meant was you, you exchanged uh, you exchanged scale for um, uh, slight kind of uh, decreases in terms of the staleness of the data, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. And with the, you know, on that transformation, what do you think was the, the big factor in driving it forward? Was it the technology? Was it the people? Was it the, the processes? Um, um, so what, what actually drove it forward? It was, it was basically a call, not a call, but a, a, but a request by the CTO of the organization and kind of the entire organization really trying to make sure that they could scale the device graph as quickly as possible. So they were, um, you know, at the, at the time, um, they were trying to position themselves as the, the kind of uh, device graph provider par excellence in the industry. And there were a couple of other players. And so in order to do that, you, you had to have some way to say, well, hey, we actually have the largest, most scalable solution available. And in this case, um, this is how we were able to do that. So I guess to answer your question, um, it was really uh, people from the top that were asking for this kind of transformation. And then in terms of how we were able to execute it was because I was surrounded by some really talented, exceptional data scientists and software engineers. Absolutely. And I think we're, we're seeing a shift of, of these hyper-intelligent people who are coming out of school, um, but they're, they're, they're trying to go to organizations, let maybe less tech-savvy, uh, like manufacturing. Um, and there's just a bit of cross-divide there. So I think that's something that's really going to um, change in the, in the future. I mean, you, you sound like you made a really good uh, impact at Tapad. What do you think was the biggest mistake you made during your career? Um... Uh, I think the uh, the biggest mistake uh, that I made was uh, one time when uh, basically I, I learned it very quickly. It's that when um, you spot an error in something, either in a specific process or in some metric that you're computing or something like that, you don't alert uh, uh, those people that you report into quickly enough because basically the 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 idea is is in, in certain cases that could be lost revenue but in other cases it might be a catastrophically bad and so um you know um i mean i i had one instance where i thought that something was uh, a, a little fishy and it took me several days to kind of understand that well in fact something serious was happening and I, I really, I should have, as soon as I smelled something fishy, I should have immediately um, uh, alerted my boss um, uh, to it. I mean, ultimately the, the, there was no real significant um, impact on revenue because I think if it was very significant, I would have been out of a job. Uh, but uh, in this case, it was, it was really just a matter of a, a metric not being computed correctly. And uh, those metrics were delivered to uh, to people within the organ within the organization, to other people within the organization, and uh, it actually was a it was a good mistake. It was basically where a metric was understating something that was actually happening that we wanted to see. And uh, yeah, and so when I figured that out, uh, I I uh, you know I, I revised uh, the way that the metric was computed let my manager know and then actually people were, were happy when they saw that that the specific penetration um metric that they were looking for was actually like three times larger than they than, than we had initially uh calculated it to be and i mean i think just going forward the thing that i learned was that that 
you know, um, as long as you deliver the truth to somebody within your organization, and you do it as quickly as possible. I think they're going to respect the fact that that, that you've uh, fess up to your own mistakes. I think the the real problem uh, uh, happens when you aren't immediately transparent about an error that you make, and uh, you don't alert the people that that. That, that you report into as quickly as possible, because because in certain cases, uh, it can the, the results can be catastrophic, and, and, and just want to report that as much as possible. Absolutely, and you you've spoken honestly and openly about uh, a lot of your career. Is there anyone who you know? Do you have a favorite thought leader or author or influencer, maybe an academic whose um, whose values really match your own? So I, yeah, so I mean, I, I really, uh, uh, really, really admire a lot of the work that uh, Hillary Mason, who currently is at Cloudera, has, has uh, done. So she uh, used to have her own company called Fast Forward Labs. They are now a uh, wholly owned, I guess, subsidiary. I'm not really sure what the Cloudera management structure is like, but she is the, the GM of Fast Forward Labs there. Uh, she's done some really interesting work. Um, as a data scientist, but also, I mean, I just really uh, appreciate her uh, her presence as a thought leader, um, and really enjoyed a lot of her talks. She was actually the uh, one of the first people that I saw that I realized that allowed me to realize that I could uh, become a data scientist as well before data science really even existed as a uh, term within the space. Um, or with just within industry at all. I mean, when I started as a data scientist, it, there was there wasn't really that kind of a term uh, within the field at large. People kind of talked about quants. They sort of talked about modelers, but there, but this this idea of a data scientist really only happened within the past, I would say, three or four years. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm a big fan of her work. And then I mean, there are, there are some. Um, uh, you know, kind of like the the uh, the the pinnacle kind of um, machine learning researchers and professors that I that I really uh, think are doing some really interesting work. Um, so um, uh, yeah, but I think she is basically the that when it comes to like a a data scientist that is uh, much more like. Uh, community facing and kind of a not just a thought leader from a technical perspective but as a a person that shows that that you know diversity is important in data science and that you know academics have the potential to make a real significant impact within the larger industry i think she kind of uh is at the top of my list Definitely. And, and, and you mentioned that when you started out, data science was just becoming a, you know, an, an entrenched function in organizations. What are you curious about right now? What do you think the next big shift is going to come from? I think there are two things that are, well, there's lots of things I think that are going to change. But the two things that I'm very interested in are the combination of basically automated machine learning. So this is the idea where if you have a specific data set, and you want to be able to build some model that that predicts something from that data set, optimizes some outcome, uh, whatever. There are now tools that will basically generate an algorithm that performs as well as possible on the data set that you give it, given a bunch of assumptions. 
So that's really cool because it means that that one of the core traditional functionalities of data scientists are 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 now can be to a certain extent automatable, but it raises another I think interesting problem that that will arise, and that is interpreting how a given machine learning model works. So what I mean by that is usually with these automated tools, the kinds of um, algorithms or combinations, ensembles of algorithms that, that that they generate are fairly uninterpretable. So what I mean by that is if you have a simple machine learning model, whether it's a linear regression or a logistic regression, it's very obvious how to interpret um, how it's making the decisions that it's making. Okay? But with a really complicated machine learning model, it effectively becomes a black box. And so the need for uh, uh, methods and techniques that allow you to interpret how the given machine learning model works is going to become very, very important. And there, there have been some really interesting recent developments in that field. So there is, uh, uh, there are, there are tools like Lime, um, another tool called Chap that have recently been developed that, that basically allow you to actually uh, un uncover what's happening underneath the black box, no matter how complicated the machine learning model is. So, basically, to long to make my long answer a little bit more concise, I think uh, with the rise in automated machine learning, which I think is going to happen more and more in the future, I think data scientists are going to become a lot more uh, almost like um, model explainers than they will model builders. You've, you, yeah, excellent. And you've worked a, a lot in academia. What advice do you give to, uh, you know, the, the guys who come to these boot camps, who, who come to your classes? What advice do you give them if they're looking to go into data science? So, I mean, I, I think there's, so data scientists are, are they're, they're kind of an interesting breed of people who have to have uh, a certain uh, minimum amount of technical skills uh, at the same time while also having a some amount of the ability to kind of distill what they're doing to uh, uh, business leaders or decision makers within their organizations. So on kind of on, on both sides of that, I think from the more technical perspective, you really can't ever stop learning. So what I mean by that is like, I'm still, you know, whenever I have an opportunity, I try to learn, use either new new techniques, new tools, new frameworks, um, to be able to, to keep my kind of my technical chops up as much as possible, even though I'm now at a point in my career where I'm, where I'm doing less and less of the technical work and more of the, the kind of, um, um, management and uh, kind of guiding uh, a junior uh, level data scientist. So I think that's really important on the on the technical side. But on the non technical side, it's really working on your ability to convey uh, complex results in a kind of in a distilled form. And I'm I'm still you know I'm still learning how to do that. Um, I'm still you know trying to craft. A, trying to understand how to craft a narrative out of data. I think that's something that, that takes you really, it's not something that you just are born with unless you're a very, very gifted communicator. Uh, I think it takes um, years of practice and in, in, in interaction with people. I, but I think that as 
uh, uh, people that are just trying to enter the field, the best way to do it is really to work on your written communication skills. And what I mean by that is you take a data set, you can do some really fancy, build some really fancy machine learning model or some really fancy analysis on that data set. But if you can't explain it uh, using text and using some, some kind of summary graphs of what exactly it means and, and what it means for whatever phenomenon it is that you're explaining, I think you're gonna have a, a, a really difficult time um, of landing a job as a as a as a data scientist that is uh, that, that that is going to be communicating with, with senior leaders, and I think that those are the kinds of data scientists that over the long term have the you know the kind of the most upward trajectory in their careers. I think otherwise it, it's much harder to keep developing uh, your your talent and your skills. Sergey Fogelson, Vice President of Data Science and Modeling at Viacom. Uh, Sergey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me.